7 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It's 3 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and in Malaysia, it's 1978. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Welcome, welcome in. Hello, everybody, across Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitch.tv, and I think Rumble. It's supposed to be, but I don't see it yet. So God only knows what's going on with Rumble. Maybe they're too busy acquiring Locals.com. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I have an account on Locals. You can look up Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants on Locals.com. That's been in the news because <clears throat> Rumble just did some commingling or whatever it's called over there. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. It's hot again in Malaysia. Uh, it's always hot, but it's like extra hot. Yo, yo, Luna Amethyst. Oh, my goodness. A big kiss to you. Hello, Luna Amethyst, and uh, welcome to the stream, and yo-yo, back at you. <clears throat> I, uh, I can't put it off any longer. I gotta just go, wait, I got a couple of things. What are we doing? Okay, oh, patreon.com slash Sheldon if you'd like to support the show. Hang on a second. I gotta move my laptop. There we go. Okay, that's better. All right, you won't believe this, Luna says, but I somehow managed to beat the optional DK West fights first try. Nice. Congrats. I am glad to hear that. All right, uh, patreon.com slash Sheldon if you would like to help support the show. You can do that for a very tiny monthly amount or all the way up to a rather significant monthly amount. And depending upon what tier you pick, that's how much you get back. Some cool stuff at patreon.com slash Sheldon. Please do go by and uh, help to support the show. All right, let's go, Brandon. It's time. I can't put it off any longer because I am bursting at the seams. Miko update. Yeah, yes. Miko update. And the first update is she's back. <laughs> Oh, man, we went and picked her up. Uh, yeah, we went and picked her up this evening about uh, 4.30. Uh, she was crazy nuts when we first arrived, just like yesterday when we went to visit her. Uh, she was absolutely nuts. But um, she's got like eight pounds of meds she has to take. They ultimately really don't know what was wrong? Uh, she has two things. One is she's had this weird stomach since we've had her for two years almost now. Um, she will go through these about every two, three, four months where she'll get off her food, she'll throw up, she'll have diarrhea. And then in a couple of days, she suddenly goes, boop, I'm better. And away she goes. This time, the boop, I'm better didn't happen. And it was three days off her food, throwing up. She had no energy. 
She went from 11.4 kilos to 9.9, which is significant. And we said, no, uh, she needs the doctors. So we took her to the vet. They kept her there and um, ignore the bots in the chat. Um, they kept her there until uh, today, uh, but er earlier uh, yesterday afternoon, she suddenly had energy. She wasn't eating much, but the little hand feeding, but she suddenly seemed better. And so today uh, they called about uh, three o'clock and said, there's not much more we can do. She seems to have recovered. We're going to give her a bunch of meds and um, come and pick her up. So we did, and here she is <laughs> in her favorite spot on our front doorstep, and uh, that is her favorite lookout. This was just this afternoon. In fact, you can see here on her front paw, our front leg, where they shaved to put the, uh, to put the IV in. So, yeah, she, um, there's another angle of the little girl. By the way, if you're listening in on the podcast, go to rumble.com, check out the video version of our show if you want to see Miko. And uh, just to give you a small glimpse as to what uh, we're putting up with for meds, that's the amount of meds this little girl has to take twice a day. There's a liquid here, there's probiotics, there's antigastric, there's all kinds of stuff. Most of them she has to have twice a day. And she is not a pill eater. In fact, she is one of the best pill detective dogs ever. This dog ought to be working at the airport as a drug sniffer dog. Because no matter what you do, no matter where you hide it, no matter what you hide the pill in her favorite food, she finds it and she will not eat it. The only way, and she will nip when she gets really annoyed, no matter how much she loves us, she will nip. So uh, we've got to wear these gloves that she can't bite through. And in some cases, when she won't eat it with the food, we're actually popping open the mouth popping the pill in and keeping her mouth closed till she swallows it. It's horrible. I feel terrible doing it, but I feel even worse if she goes back in the hospital. So yeah, this is what uh, we're going to be dealing with for about another <clears throat> four or five days. All these meds. Oh, man, I'm telling you. But anyway, it doesn't matter because she's home. She's feeling great. She was out chasing scrats when she got back. Her energy's back and she ate some dinner. So uh, welcome back, Miko. We missed you, and it's good to see you. All right. So, it's a Wednesday. We're kind of back to normal around here, and uh, we've got a few things to talk about. In fact, we we talked a little bit about uh, some of that uh, earlier on today. Uh, you know what? I wasn't going to talk about this, but it suddenly popped up. It's making the rounds across Twitter. By the way, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's at It's J Sheldon, I-T-S-J Sheldon. It's J Sheldon is my Twitter handle. You can follow me over there if you like. I will follow you back. And uh, this, when is, I first saw this on Twitter, it has now gone all across Facebook, other social media outlets, and uh, it's also... Uh, 
some news stories. This one is from our friends at World of Buzz. You'll find, I think, I'm not sure this link is in the show notes or not, but all the stuff we talk about tonight, you'll find the main ones in our show notes in the description below. So you want to check out the full article, you can always go there. Uh, Luna says, are you kidding me? Hi, Miko. Whoa, the Miko knows knows. Yeah, exactly. The Miko knows knows. And there's no fool in her. All right. So apparently, look, we have a mask mandate in Malaysia. Some places do, some places don't. Look, uh, you know, the rules are what the rules are, and you follow them. You know, if you don't want to follow them, you pay the fines. That's the way it goes. That's the rules. You follow the rules. That's how we do things. We have rules in a society, and we follow them. Frankly, I don't think there's a bit of science that shows that masks do any good at all in protecting from the virus. They're just just a face diaper. My personal opinion, you don't have to agree. I'll do me, you do you. However, I will tell you when I'm out in public and it's required, I wear my mask. No problem. That's the rule. We follow the rules. This lady apparently doesn't want to. It's a free country. Unmasked Karen throws a fit after being denied entry into a KLCC store. Well, this woman happens to be an expatriate of some kind. She is what appears to be a Caucasian woman. Don't know who she is. Don't. Her face is blurred out here in this, but I, I don't know why. I mean, she's out in public and... Uh, as the nation is entering the endemic phase, oh, KLCC is a Kuala Lumpur conference center? Anyway, it's a giant convention center. Convention center, that's it. Plus the uh, Twin Towers, the Petronas Twin Towers, which is a very famous, one of the most famous landmarks in Malaysia. And at, at one time, I believe it was the highest Twin Towers in the world. If it's not, it's not anymore, I don't think, but it was. And um, attached to this is a rather upscale shopping center at Surya at KLCC, KLCC Kuala Lumpur Convention Center. So Surya at KLCC is a giant, rather upscale with a lot of top brands, Louis Vuitton, all the big ones are in there and very expensive. It is cool. Uh, Luna says that sounds cool. Um, it's a great shopping mall, but obviously nowadays, some malls won't even let you in unless you're fully vaccinated. Uh, and most every place requires you to wear a mask all the time. Yes, Luna, you should check it out if you visit uh, to Malaysia. But anyway, uh, this woman decided she didn't want to, uh, that she was above the rules. And uh, as the nation is entering the endemic phase, everybody's well aware it's compulsory to mask up in public areas in order to prevent, well, in order to prevent the virus from spreading, if you believe that. Um, however, there was a visitor to the, oh, Kuala Lumpur City Center. All right, so it's city center, not convention center. Uh, mall did not seem to be bothered by the rules. Uh, Netizen shared her Twitter account and revealed an incident where a foreign visitor was being denied entry into the Dior boutique. And uh, there was a video here. We just play a little bit of this. 
let me just mute that. So as she is, I don't know, she's taking a picture or taking a video, but this woman is insisting she be allowed in where she, um, well, I, I've never seen a Karen in person either, but this is a Karen. If you want to know what a description of a Karen is, this is a Karen. She gives the security guard all kinds of crap and she insists on being let in and kudos to the security guys, the folks at the store. They denied her entry because she would not wear a mask. How she wound up in the mall at all without a mask is beyond me. But the bigger point, and I read all the replies on the Twitter account that first posted this, and there is this giant anti-expat feedback where all expats, including this guy, are painted as, we think we're better than you, we think we're above the law, we think we're God, we think we're, you know, superstars who don't have to play by the rules of the country we live in. <clears throat> well, I will tell you that in my next year will be my 20th year living in this wonderful country. And yes, expat stands for expatriate. And um, that's basically me. I moved here 20 years ago and I live here for all intents all of my life now here, hopefully for a long time to come. But um, some of these people come in and out on a contract. Yes, very often expats are paid ridiculous sums of money for the work that they do. Uh, and consequently, some of them think, and honestly, Malaysians sometimes treat them like they are superstars or godlike. And we're not. We're no different than you. And most, if not all, of my friends feel exactly the same way. I mean, my expat friends. And honestly, I don't have a lot of expat friends. I really don't. I don't hang around with expats. I hang around with Malaysians. And I'd much rather hang around with Malaysians. It's like, I know expats. Hey, it's a Henway. Jim Brage, hello there. Welcome in. <laughs> uh, but Jim, I have to ask, what's a Henway? Go ahead. I laid it down. Now it's up to you to pick it up. Anyway, back to the expat thing. Uh, I am not in this category. I am humble and respectful of the rules and the laws. I rarely say things, frankly, you're not supposed to if you're an expat. I don't get involved in politics. Something in the social realm, I will make comments about. It's good to see you too, Jim. Uh, but flaunting it, about four pounds. Yes. Boom boom. <laughs> oh, wait. I think I have a sound effect. Yeah, there you go. Studio audience says, whoa. Um, these expats who just think they're better than everybody else because they happen to be expats, whatever country they're from, uh, you know, stop it. Just knock it off. Not only are you no different or better than anyone else, if this is how you act, you're worse. Go back where you came from and learn some respect. Learn to be humble. Learn to, uh, yeah, an expat is someone who's not native to Malaysia, wasn't born here. They're a patriot of another country, 
and they live here now, temporarily or permanently. Um, but really, you are an embarrassment to those of us who live here and are grateful to be able to live here. And those of us who respect the culture and the rules and the laws, and there are lots of us. Thankfully, there aren't that many people who have this kind of a my crap doesn't stink attitude. Well, lady, it does. In fact, it probably after today stinks a little bit more. It's it's an embarrassment. Uh, fortunately, I believe they are looking into this incident. Um, it says here, kudos to the Dior KLCC and Surya KLCC mall staff. And then our health minister, uh, KJ Kyrie uh, and uh, KKM Putradaya, please find her and fine her, is the comment that this person made on their uh, Twitter feed. So again, I'm not going to spend any more uh, time on this ridiculous woman, but um, please stop with your foolishness. You're an embarrassment to the rest of us who want to live here, want to obey the rules and truly appreciate the culture and the country and the wonderful, for the most part, wonderful people who live here. Uh, whoever you are, piss off. All right. Uh, again, I really didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. I guess we did, actually. Um, uh, I, you look better when you were smaller. <laughs> you mean like this? Yeah, okay. I look better when I have a smaller picture. You could always hold the phone away from, or, or your laptop. You could always, you know, hold it away a bit. All right, moving on. <laughs> Traveler Z, this link is in our show notes tonight. And it was a part of our, um, a part of our, uh, our thumbnail places that you are not allowed to go but frankly why the hell anybody would want to go there anyway is beyond me this is a really cool article it's from uh, travelers.com again you'll find the link in our show notes uh, no through road it says joint defense facility pine gap prohibited area turn around now we're used to hearing about the exotic places that everyone visits during their lifetime. And when you see places like that, you might like to add it to your vacation wish list. But what about the locations you should definitely leave off your bucket list? Some spots aren't worth the visit and others are forbidden. Morgan Island in South Carolina, USA. When you see monkeys, you might think of some tropical island far away, but they are in America. About 4,000 rhesus monkeys live on Morgan Island, South Carolina, but they are not native to those lands. North America has no native uh, primates. So how did they get there? Well, the adorable faces were relocated from Puerto Rico after an outbreak of herpes virus B infection. Before the monkeys arrived, it was basically uninhabited. It is illegal for people to visit the island for their own safety and for the monkeys' safety. Uh, although they look cute in pictures, 
They are not the friendly kind of monkeys. Only a handful of research are, uh, are allowed to set foot on uh, Morgan Island. Svalbard Global Seed Vault in Norway. Now, I've heard of this thing before. It's cool as hell, but you're not allowed to go there. And I think I understand why. Just from the picture, you can tell it's not a place that you would stumble on. And that's for a very good reason. It's a seed vault in Norway, referred to sometimes as the Doomsday Vault. It's an important place for all of us, and it is home to 100 million seeds from all over the world. And uh, they're under high security. And the reason behind it is if there was ever some horrific disaster that wiped out the plant kingdom, the seeds in this vault, over a hundred million of them, could potentially restore our natural vegetation. This vault is built to outlast any natural disaster, high above sea level in case of flooding, It uh, knows no politics. Even North Korea has uh, contributed seeds to this place. And no, you can't go there. North Sentinel Island in India. Wait, not true. We have Bigfoot. Yeah, well, maybe. Right off India's coast, the Bay of Bengal, is a tiny island called North Sentinel Island. You may have heard of this before because it It's rather popular. The indigenous people, known as the Sentinelese, reject any contact with the outside world. There's the island itself. And it's one of the few places that is completely untouched by the outside world. After a tsunami in 2004, the Indian Coast Guard flew over the island to assess the damage, and they reported men coming out of the jungle and shooting arrows at the helicopters. They will protect their lands at all costs. So, little uh, advice, don't go near the island. Another island is North Brother Island in New York in the US. It sounds like an inviting place, but this island is in the East River of New York and it has a rather sad past. After a ship sank, about a thousand passengers took refuge on the island. It later became a hospital for people with contagious diseases, including Mary Mullen, a.k.a. Typhoid Mary, stayed there. Now you can see a picture of it, which was, uh, now it's pretty much ruins. It's now actually a bird sanctuary. Very weird. Okay, there's a bunch of different caves, things like that. The Vatican's secret archives. You want to check out all of these. You can read the whole article, check out the pictures. But there's one in particular I wanted to show you that not only should you not go there, but why the hell would anyone want to? In Brazil, it's known as Snake Island. I get the jeebies just looking at this picture. Oh, my God. You might be sad you can't visit some destinations on the list, but this is certainly not one of them. Ia de Queimada Grande in Brazil, and I'm sure I completely butchered that. It's better known as Snake Island, 93 miles off the coast of Sao Paulo, home to a sickening amount of snakes. There is between one to five snakes per 10 square feet.
10 square feet is about three meters-ish. So between one and five snakes per three meters square. There are golden lancehead vipers whose venom melts the skin around its bite. Probably better you're not allowed to go there. Sea levels rose and covered the island that connected it to the land and the snakes got stuck on the island and they've just sat there and had the time of their lives ever since. <coughs> I'm going to have nightmares. I'm telling you, I have a recurring nightmare. Y'all know I'm into lucid dreaming, but this isn't lucid dreaming. I have a recurring nightmare. I've had it since I was a teenager. Haven't had it in a long time, but I'll probably have it tonight. Of being stuck on like a, an old abandoned cellar hole. And the whole bottom is moving with snakes. And I am about to fall in. It's like an Indiana Jones scene, if you know what I mean. It's a recurring nightmare. I always wake up before I fall into the pit, but it is horrible. And it is one of the reasons why I have this thing about snakes. Mm. You know, the thing is though, the big snakes, giant pythons, boa constrictors, they don't bother me. I, I, seriously, I, I don't mind big snakes. You know, some people have them as pets. It's the ones like this picture, these little things. <sighs> awful. Anyway, you want to read the whole article, check it out in our show notes tonight. You'll find the link in there. Um, you think that's gross? I got something better. <laughs> Secret hotels are keeping from their guests that might make you want to think about your next stay. Hotels are... This, by the way, is from parentmood.com link in the show notes hotels are supposed to be a chance to get away and relax in a calm clean environment but when you look just below the surface you may find some hotels are not all they're cracked up to be so some employees of hotels have broken their silence did the little project veritas kind of deal here the cleaning staff will very often take naps in your bed. When you leave your room and let the maid service in, you might wonder what takes them so long to clean it. Well, you might be surprised to find out that they will sometimes take a nap in your bed. One five-star hotel maid shared her personal experience taking naps on the job. If the maids are really tired and have some extra time, they might catch a few winks on your bed. If they have large suites and given more time to clean, so they often will use the extra time to sleep. Oh, man. There could be a body under the bed. Now we always thought the body under the bed was just an urban legend. There is some truth behind it. It's a very infrequent occurrence. Might make you check your hotel room more thoroughly the next time you check in. Some people have indeed found they were sharing their hotel room with a corpse. In both Mexico City and Thailand, just to the north of me here in Malaysia, people complained of a foul odor in their room. They looked under the bed and there was a body. Worst case scenario for a hotel stay, it is not 
impossible. Surprisingly, that apparently doesn't stop people from staying in the hotels. Uh, you may want to disinfect the remote control for the television in your room. Uh, as you settle into your hotel room in the evening, you may want to watch some TV, but consider wrapping the hotel room's remote control before you touch it, maybe in a plastic bag. Research has found that one of the dirtiest items in a hotel room, even dirtier than the toilet, is the TV's remote control. Yee! Okay. And uh, let's see. Oh, you can lose your room to someone with status. I can see that happening here. So you booked your hotel room months ago, paid in advance, you show up only to be told you don't have a room. Well, just like airlines, hotels can overbook to minimize revenue loss from oversold rooms. They might even walk you to another property so you can have a hotel stay. That all depends on if you have a status at the hotel or not. If you're a first-time guest, you don't. They never want to annoy their loyal guests, so they won't bump those people. A single night stay or booking through a third party may get you pushed into a second location if they overbook. So there you go. Uh, there's all kinds of nasty things. Breakfast for free isn't actually free. It's built into the cost of the room. So uh, check this article out. It's quite interesting. The link is in the show notes down below. And uh, yeah, it's uh, parentmood.com. Very weird. All right. Should I save this for next time? Mm, no, I'll do it now. <laughs> this is from a site on Facebook called The Cake. The Cake by Dave. It's a cupcake shop. Now, look, I am not making fun of The Cake by Dave. Is it Day or Dave? The Cake by Dave, if you want to check it out. In fact, at Facebook, you look up The Cake by Dave. The link is in the show notes. We have a, a vegetable here, which is called Bitter Gourd. It's about the size of an average cucumber, and it's covered in warts, is the only way I can describe it. It's this light green, warty, looking cucumber. I don't know how else to describe it. It it's actually looks like a squash, a small squash, but it's light green. And it is one of the most bitter things you will ever eat. Why is it popular here? I don't know. They claim it's good for you. Don't know if there's any science behind it or not, because oftentimes these urban legend vegetables and fruits and, you know, bull penis is good for your sexual function only because it's a bull penis. Really, that's not science. That's legend. But for some reason, this vegetable is very popular here. I can't stand it. I have tried it. It is the bitterest tasting thing you'll ever stick in your mouth. And somebody made this. Yeah. It says very national. The cake by Dave. Dave, love you to death, Dave. But no, just not no, hell no. 
If you're listening to the podcast, sorry, check out the visual over on rumble.com slash jsheldon. It is a vanilla cake covered in sliced bitter gourd. And from what looks like inside, let me get my mouse back here. From inside the cake, looks like maybe a vanilla cake with more bitter gourd inside. Look, if you scroll through from the cake by Dave, he's got some amazing cakes. They look delicious. But Dave, sorry, dude, absolutely no way, Jose. I can just taste this. And it's making my jowl, I feel like Miko did for the last four or five days. We have some strange customs in this country. And this is what I haven't seen. Eating bitter gourd is strange enough. But a bitter gourd cake is off the charts. If you knew what bitter gourd tasted like, you would know what I'm talking about. It is awful. I need coffee to get the taste out of my mouth now. Mm. By the way, um, if you want a Miko mug, which has our show logo on the back, and on the front is Miko. I'm also wearing one of our t-shirts. There we go. Got our show logo with Miko. We got mouse pads. We got stickers. We got ball caps. We got hoodies. Go to twitch.tv slash jsheldonnopants. And over on the side, you will uh, down below here, I think, on, over there, you'll see uh, About link. Click on the About link, and you'll follow that to Miko Merch. That's where you'll find all of our merchandise. We, we got a whole load of it tonight. We got the t-shirt, we got the mug, I got the mouse pad here. Very cool. And Miko's back. <laughs> so we're celebrating. All right, we did the bitter gourd cake. Oh, please, dear. Don't give me bitter gourd cake. All right. I got some more stuff, but uh, we got to get to our book. So we'll save these for our next, actually, two episodes from now. We'll save them for that because... Uh, uh, our next episode, I will tell you about it now, is going to be Saturday night. And Saturday night, we will be doing scary stories for the whole hour. In fact, if it takes longer, we'll go longer. But on Saturday night, the eve of Halloween, this coming Saturday, the whole show is nothing but scary stories told by me. Well, I'll be reading them but I got some good ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got some really good ones. We will be having some fun on Saturday night scaring your pants off. <laughs> get, get it? Scare your pants off? I'm not wearing pants. Huh? Huh? I know. Okay, bear with me. As you know, uh, we read books on this stream. We've been doing that since the beginning, 130-something episodes ago. And we read the classic books. We've done Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, The Little Prince, uh, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Right now we're doing The War of the Worlds. And we're almost at the end. We're getting there quickly. And um, so we're going to continue on with the next chapter in The War of the Worlds. Um, and we would ask, uh, we would ask if you want to uh, check out where these books come from. A tip of the hat to the Gutenberg Project, Gutenberg.org. They're all public domain. They're all free. You can 
download them in all different formats, HTML, text files, Word docs, eBooks in some cases. So check them out over there at gutenberg.org, the Gutenberg Project. A very cool site. So that having been said, let's get into it. It's The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. We are on book two, the second and final book, with uh, this chapter called The Death of the Curate. It was on the sixth day of our imprisonment that I peeped for the last time and presently found myself alone. Instead of keeping close to me and trying to oust me from the slit, the curate had gone back into the scullery. I was struck by a sudden thought, and I went back quickly and quietly into the scullery. In the darkness, I heard the curate drinking. I snatched in the darkness, and my fingers caught a bottle of burgundy. For a few minutes, there was a tussle. The bottle struck the floor and broke, and I desisted and rose. We stood panting and threatening each other. In the end, I planted myself between him and the food and told him of my determination to begin a discipline. I divided the food in the pantry into rations to last us ten days. I would not let him eat any more that day. In the afternoon, he made a feeble effort to get at the food. I'd been dozing, but in an instant I was awake. All day, all night, we sat face to face, I weary but resolute, and he weeping and complaining of his immediate hunger. It was, I know, a night and a day, but to me it seemed, it, it seems now, an interminable length of time. And so our widening incompatibility ended at last in open conflict. For two vast days, we struggled in undertones and wrestling contests. There were times when I beat and kicked him madly, times when I cajoled and persuaded him, and once I tried to bribe him with the last bottle of burgundy, for there was a rainwater pump from which I could get water. But neither force nor kindness availed. He was, indeed, beyond reason. He would neither desist from his attacks on the food nor from his noisy babbling to himself. The rudimentary precautions to keep our imprisonment endurable he would not observe. Slowly, I began to realize the complete overthrow of his intelligence, to perceive that my sole companion in this close and sickly darkness was a man insane. From certain vague memories, I'm inclined to think my own mind wandered at times. I had strange and hideous dreams whenever I slept. It sounds paradoxical, but I'm inclined to think that the weakness and insanity of the curate warned me, braced me, and kept me a sane man. On the eighth day, he began to talk aloud instead of whispering, and nothing I could do would moderate his speech. It's just, oh God, he'd say over and over again. It is just, 
on me and mine be the punishment laid. We have sinned, we've fallen short. There was poverty, sorrow, the poor were trodden in the dust, and I held my peace. I preached acceptable folly. My God, what folly! When I should have stood up, though I died for it, and called upon them to repent, repent, oppressors of the poor and the needy, the wine press of God. And then he would suddenly revert to the matter of food I withheld from him, praying, begging, weeping, at last threatening. He began to raise his voice. I prayed him not to. He perceived a hold on me. He threatened he would shout and bring the Martians upon us. For a time that scared me, but any concession would have shortened our chance of escape beyond estimating. I defied him, although I felt no assurance he might not do this thing. But that day, at any rate, he did not. He talked with his voice rising slowly through the greater part of the eighth and ninth days. Threats, entreaties mingled with a torrent of half-sane and always frothy repentance for his vacant sham of God's service, such as made me pity him. Then he slept a while, began again with renewed strength, so loudly that I must needs make him desist. Be still, I implored. He rose to his knees, for he'd been sitting in the darkness near the copper. I've been still too long, he said, in a tone that must have reached the pit. And now I must bear my witness. Woe unto this unfaithful city. Woe, 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 woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reasons of the other voices of the trumpet. Shut up, I said, rising to my feet in a terror lest the Martians should hear us. For God's sake! Nay, shouted the curate at the top of his voice, standing likewise and extending his arms. Speak! The word of the Lord is upon me. In three strides, he was at the door leading into the kitchen. I must bear my witness. I go. It's already been too long delayed. I put my hand out, felt the meat chopper hanging to the wall, and in a flash, I was after him. I was fierce with fear. Before he was halfway across the kitchen, I had overtaken him. With one last touch of humanity, I turned the blade back and struck him with the butt. He went headlong forward and lay stretched on the ground. I stumbled over him and stood panting. He lay still. Suddenly, I heard a noise without, the run and smash of slipping plaster, and the triangular aperture of the wall was darkened. I looked up and saw the lower surface of a handling machine coming slowly across the hole. One of its gripping limbs curled amidst the debris. Another limb appeared, feeling its way over the fallen beams. I stood petrified, staring, and then I saw through a sort of glass plate near the edge of the body of the face, as we may call it, and the dark, large eyes of a Martian peering, and then a long metallic snake of tentacles came feeling slowly through the hole. 
I turned by an effort, stumbled over the curate and stopped at the scullery door. The tentacle was now some way, two yards or more in the room and twisting and turning, with queer sudden movements this way and that. For a while I stood fascinated by that slow, fitful advance. Then with a faint, hoarse cry, I forced myself across the scullery. I trembled violently. I could scarcely stand upright. I opened the door of the coal cellar, stood there in the darkness, staring at the faintly lit doorway into the kitchen and listening. Had the Martian seen me? What was it doing now? Something was moving to and fro there very quietly. Every now and then it tapped against the wall or started on its movements with a faint metallic ringing, like the movements of keys on a split ring. Then a heavy body. I knew too well what was dragging across the floor of the kitchen towards the opening. Irresistibly attracted, I crept to the door and peeped into the kitchen. In the triangle of bright outer sunlight, I saw the Martian scrutinizing the curate's head. I thought at once that it would infer my presence from the mark of the blow I had given him. I crept back to the coal cellar and shut the door and began to cover myself up as much as I could and as noiselessly as possible in the darkness. Among the firewood and coal therein, every now and then I paused, rigid, to hear if the Martian had thrust his tentacles through the opening again. Then the faint metallic jingle returned. I traced it slowly, feeling over the kitchen. Presently I heard it nearer in the scullery, as I judged. I thought its length might be insufficient to reach me. I prayed copiously. It passed, scraping faintly across the cellar door. An age of almost intolerable suspense intervened, and then I heard it fumbling at the latch. It had found the door. The Martians understood doors. It worried at the catch for a minute. Then the door opened. In the darkness, I could just see the thing, like an elephant's trunk more than anything else, <clears throat> waving towards me and touching and examining the walls, coals, wood, ceiling. It was like a black worm swaying its blind head to and fro. Once even it touched the heel of my boot. I was on the verge of screaming, but I bit my hand for a time, the tentacle was silent. I could have fancied it had been withdrawn. Presently, with an abrupt click, it gripped something. I thought it had me, and it seemed to go out of the cellar again. For a minute, I wasn't sure. Apparently, it had taken a lump of coal to examine. I seized the opportunity of slightly shifting my position, which had become cramped, and listened. I whispered passionate prayers for safety. Then I heard the slow, deliberate sounds creeping toward me again, slowly. Slowly it drew near, scratching against the walls and tapping 
the furniture. While I was still doubtful, it wrapped smartly across the cellar door and closed it. I heard it go into the pantry and the biscuit tins rattled and a bottle smashed. Then a heavy bump against the cellar door. Then silence that passed into an infinity of suspense. Had it gone? At last I decided it had. I came into the scullery no more. I lay all the tenth day in the close darkness, buried among coal and firewood, not daring even to crawl out for drink, which I craved. It was the eleventh day before I ventured so far from my security. And that's the next chapter, called The Stillness. We will get to that on our next stream. Goodness me. Wow. <laughs> All right, folks, that's uh, going to do it for tonight. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, that is The War of the Worlds from H.G. Wells. We will be finishing up this book in the next few streams. Our next stream, however, on Saturday night, 30th of October, the eve of Halloween, we're going to do a full show of scary stories. So mark your calendar. Be sure and like, subscribe, share, follow, and you'll get notified whenever we uh, <clears throat> whenever we go live. And if you're listening in on the podcast, don't forget you can check out the video version of our show at rumble.com slash Sheldon. That's uh, where you will find us and our live, recorded live uh, show. Okay. Enjoy the rest of your work week. I will see you again on Saturday night for Scary Stories on uh, the show. We, uh, we got some good ones. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Have a good night, everybody. Yo.